Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. met me. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. And today we continue with our Love Showed Up series uh, with the idea that when love shows up, hope is never lost. Hope is a dangerous word when it is linked to most things. If you put hope on, like, I hope it doesn't rain today, or I hope it I hope this happens, or you place it on something, like, I, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl most things that you connect hope to give you a great opportunity to be disappointed or discouraged um, and hurt because it doesn't happen. Biblical hope isn't placed on something that may fail you. Biblical hope puts all its confidence in one person. Today I want to take an extended look into a text that I briefly mentioned two Sundays ago and wrestle with its implication. Today's text will stretch you, uh, confront you, and call you to a greater level of trust in our Savior. A call to follow Jesus is a call to surrender and trust. Hope is never lost when love shows up. Let's pray. Uh, Dearly Father, as we look um, at your Son... Uh, in the interaction that he had today in the text. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I I know in this room there are places that we've lost hope. There's places that we've, we've, we've discounted your ability to come in and rescue and redeem and restore and rebuild. And Lord, we want to put our hope back in the possibility that you are still at work in us. So, Lord, as we get into your text, I pray that you would speak to our heart, that you would encourage us, that you would um, comfort us with the idea that it is never too late to hope. Uh, So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be in John 11, uh, verses 1 through 16. If you've got your Bibles, actually, the first section is 1 through 16. I'm going to cover most of John, skipping around a little bit. We'll go all the way through 44. So if you've got your Bibles... Open up um, to chapter 11. So to give you a little precursor of what happened before we get to this place, Jesus had just spoken to a crowd. He, he just made a statement in front of Pharisees that he and the Father are one, which they didn't like. And they picked up stones to go kill Jesus. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what do you, what, for what work are you killing me? And he was like, not for your work, but that you put yourself in the same position as the Father, that you and the Father are one, which that was a big deal to them. Um, Good thing that he and the Father literally are one. So this happens, and then this other thing that we're getting ready to pick up on, and this is the story of Lazarus, um, picking up in verse 1. That has just happened. His life has just been threatened because he made a statement that they didn't like, and they're in a different area. Uh, And this is back close to where the threat was made. So we're going to pick this up in verse 1. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, <clears throat> the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed 
the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus. And like I've, I've, I've done a lot, not a lot, but I've done a lot of reading on this. They still believe this is two different people, um, partly because they happened at two different times. But that's not part of the story. Um, she does anoint Jesus' feet in the next chapter. So if you keep reading after chapter 11, it's coming. So you'll get to see that. Um, <clears throat> verse um, 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, who, he whom you love is ill. So they, they sent a message to their friend Jesus, and Jesus loves these three people. He, you, we see it all throughout this text, and they said that he is ill. And notice that they didn't demand for him to come and heal their brother. They're just telling him what's going on, but there's an expectation that Jesus is going to do something. They send this message to Jesus to get his help, but they don't say, Jesus, you must come here, do anything. They just tell him that their brother is ill. Verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard it said, um, he said, when he heard, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will be glorified through it. See, most likely when Jesus got this message, most likely when he said this word, this phrase right here, Lazarus was probably already dead. It was a 20-mile journey from where he's at to where he's going, um, which, you know, in 20 miles doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but they didn't have cars that go our speed, but it, it would it'd be a, a good day's hike to get there. And so Jesus says this to his disciples in their hearing. In verse 5, uh, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, and this seems contrary, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So you think, and for all my prayer people, I need you to hear this. <clears throat> they send a message to Jesus because they need their brother healed because he's very ill. Jesus hears the message and chooses to stay for two more days. And let me just tell you, um, sometimes, or all the time when God does it, when he has his way, it is always for our good. It is not easy, it is not comfortable, it is not pleasant, but it is always for our good. So he stayed two more days in the place, uh, verse 7, it says, After this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again. They're like, whoa, whoa. Like, let, let's, let's don't go back there. That was in John um, 10, verse 31. Uh, verse 9, it says, And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. <clears throat> because he sees the light of the world, but he, if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So what is the light that we are called to walk in? Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. See, there, most of the darkness that we entertain or we whatever is when we go outside of known things that we know that God's saying, Hey, you you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go here. You shouldn't go there. Um, not just necessarily 
darkness at, at night, but I will say, um, unless you work third shift, you've got to be careful saying things. Unless you work third shift, there's not much good that happens after like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you. Like, if your kid says there is, there's not. There's no good. You remember, uh, everybody that's old enough, you remember there's nothing good that happens after midnight. Um, Verse 11, it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They didn't get it. They're like, oh, this is good news. Because you know, a lot of times when you don't feel well, you get a good sleep and you wake up and you feel better. That's not what was happening here. Verse 13, it says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So that you may believe this is the length to which Jesus will go to show the world his power over life and death. Notice before he went to the cross and did it himself, he showed his power of resurrection on Lazarus. Here's, and I said this, I think, two weeks ago when I was talking about Lazarus. Are you ready and willing for God to use you in this way? See, many of us, uh, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is talking about struggling unto sin, that we've not struggled unto death. We've not struggled unto, like, bleeding. Are we willing, because we see the picture, we, we know the story, or most of us know the story, of what's going to happen and what, where Jesus is going with this. But in our life right now, how willing are we to trust in him? And trust is always connected to hope. You can't trust in something unless you have hope in something. Like we, we can't trust in God unless we have hope that he has the capacity to do the things that we're trusting in him to do. What is the purpose of your life? For you to be lifted high or for Jesus to be lifted high? One of the um, probably most dangerous things I feel like I say that a lot, that phrase. There's phrases that come up in my preaching that I say and I get in a bad habit of saying, but I do think it's dangerous. Is that we'll we'll sell our soul for comfort. We'll 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 decide like, man, because most of the things that God is going to call you to do aren't necessarily going to be comfortable. Jesus tells his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you will be persecuted. You will, if you're going to live in this world and follow me, you, there will be trouble. It is going to happen. And so we can either choose to say, hey, do we want, is Jesus our treasure and are we willing to lift him up and be ridiculed and be seen or talked about because of what we do or do we want comfort? Sadly, a lot of times we all, including me, choose comfort over Jesus. Because comfort is comfortable. Comfort is nice and comfort is easy, but at the end of the day, uh, comfort doesn't give us what we want. Uh, Daniel 3, if you were reading the one your Bible not too long ago, you saw this story. Um, the, the three that were told that they must bow down and worship the golden idol. Still stuck with the rack, shack, and Benny from the uh, 
Veggie tales. Sorry. <clears throat> but the king comes to them because he likes these guys, and he's like, "Hey, hey, okay, I've heard that you're doing this. Can you can you just can you just you know do can you just worship, and then we can get this over, and we can continue on, and we don't have to kill you." And, because if you don't do this, you know, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And I, I love this phrase. It says, if this be so, meaning if we do continue to be faithful to our Lord and you punish us by throwing us into the fire, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand one way or the other whether living in the fire and out or dead and in his presence. O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In spite of everything else, they're willing to say, our God is able. And that's what the hope is. And and partly, or not partly, all of what I want to talk about today because most of us aren't going to be Lazarus and literally die and God raise you four days later. Most of us are dying slow deaths of little things that we need hope that God still has the capacity to restore. It could be, you know, as we approach the holidays, it could be relationships. Internally, it could be in your house. It could be with extended family. You're going to be around people potentially that you don't see a whole lot, and there could be lots of conflict that's going on. And you may be saying to yourself, like, I don't don't see how this can be fixed. I don't don't know what's going to happen. And it's the hope of the ability that God has to restore. And so right after this in verse 16, so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, I love how... Uh, the disciples love to one-up each other. They love, and, and, and this, is, this was Thomas' shining moment where he probably stood up, stuck out his chest in front of the boys who were scared of going to be killed. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't remember Thomas hanging out in the garden. I mean, Peter at least tried to cut somebody's ear off. He ran off. So four days pass. We're going to skip to verse 25, but four days pass. Lazarus dies, and they make their way to where he's at, towards the town. Martha went out to him first, but Mary stayed in her house. And there's lots of um, potential of why she stayed. And, And you'll hear a conversation that both of them ask Jesus basically the same thing. They blame Jesus a little bit without blaming him. They tell him if you were if you were if you would have been here. If you would have showed up. And then Mary goes back. I mean, Martha goes back and Mary comes out there, and we pick this up uh, in verse 25. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, she, she, she is hopeful for what God can do, but she's not thinking the now. She's thinking, oh, God's going to do something in the resurrection, in the later. And she said to them, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, they had lost hope for the possibility. And I love 
that he says this, and he says it to us all the time. Do you believe this? See, a call to trust him even when you don't understand. Even when you have no idea how God is going to do what you think he needs to do. Now, I've mentioned this, and I'm, I'm two weeks into, I'm a, um, if y'all know me, I love checking a box. Like, I love to have a task that I want to do. It helps me be accountable to myself. And, and something that I've started doing, uh, I think I'm two weeks in right now, is one of the first things that I do in the morning um, is I, I put my face on the ground, uh, which may seem weird, but I, I get prostate, prostrate. <laughs> Wrong word. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's what you get for using words that we don't normally use. I just get on my face before the Lord. And for two weeks, I start my, my, my day off saying, God, um, I start here and I just say, you know, God, what do you want from me today? And I, I just start off my day saying, I'm available. Help me see. And then I go into this little thing where I just say, God, I, I'm choosing to trust you. And I list things that I'm struggling and trusting him with. My daughter is, um, my 21-year-old is um, on a senior trip with her friend. She's in Aruba um, right now. She paid for it. We did not. And, you know, I'm, as a dad of a 20-year-old, 110-pound girl, like, I'm, I'm, we're like, don't you take a drink for me? I mean, we're like giving her the right act of what not to do and not to get kidnapped. And I'm freaking out a little bit, you know, because I'm not there. I mean, she lives here. I can, you know, I can be at her house in 10 minutes and go beat up whatever bully's messing with her. But when she's in another place, I cannot. And so, like, that's one of the things. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with this. And there's all of these things in my life that I need to declare, even though I don't feel like I can. Like, Lord, I trust you with them. And I've been, I've been saying that, Lord. And I had this list of things. I'm, Lord, I trust you with this. And I trust you with this. And then I end it with saying, hey, God, help me live in that trust because it's easy to say i trust you verbally until whatever you get confronted with that is going to present you an opportunity to continue to trust and i'm like lord help me live with this trust throughout the day even when you don't understand See, this was the comment that he says to martha martha goes back and gets mary and mary comes and the whole crowd follows her for seven days, they would mourn the loss of a person. And family members and friends would gather with them, and they would sit with them and mourn with them. And she comes out to him and says, if you would have been here, just like Martha did. And Jesus says to Mary, where is he? Like, Where did, where did they put him? And for those that want to um, jumpstart for 2024, your memorization game, the easiest verse that you can memorize is John eleven thirty five. It's two words. Jesus wept. There you go. You've just memorized your first verse. John eleven thirty five. But the the beauty of this is, and I said this two weeks ago. Jesus wept with empathy and compassion, even though he knew that he he planned this. So he tells his disciples, that we're going to go and, and this is happening so that God would be glorified. He had this plan from the beginning. And even though he knew that their pain and their suffering and everything was going to leave them shortly, he wept with them. 
So everyone that feels like, man, God is distant and impartial and he doesn't care, like look through the Gospels and his interaction with people. He loved them. He loved them. And he allowed this thing to still happen. And he's weeping with them, even though he knew he was bringing real resurrection, the now resurrection, not the later, because that's what they were talking about. They're like, we know, we know later on there will be the resurrection and we'll be with you and all these things, but they weren't expecting the now. And others around her, which there's a lot, if you're going to trust and have hope in God, you're going to have people that are going to say stuff just like this. And question, and this is from the beginning, from the garden, the enemy has put whispers in our ear of going, did God really say that? Isn't God, isn't God really just keeping you from this good thing that you know, like that tree he said? The enemy was talking to them, whispering in their ear, and then people around this, they're, having, they're seeing this encounter with Jesus and Mary, and they, could he not, talking about Jesus, keep this man from dying? So even people around them are like, oh, and you've heard it. When things happen in your life with people that you know, and they don't know God, and when bad things happen to us, they're like, oh, is God good? And they want to question his, you know, his goodness, and, and why is he doing these things? And I, and I want to just say, in saying all this, I have no idea why God does everything that he does. And neither will you. The key in understanding is, is God good even in spite of these things that are going on? Does he not still have the potential to bring glory out of it? Pick it up in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And he said, take the stone away. But Martha, still not believing what was going to happen, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there would be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. Verse 40, and Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He's not saying this for himself. He's saying this for those that are around him. I knew that you were always here, that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound in linen stripes. And his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. They weren't holed out. They weren't, keeping Je- they weren't keeping Lazarus waiting for Jesus. At this point, all hope is gone. There is no expectation. Even when he's saying, remove the stone, they're not thinking, oh, man, he's, he's about to bring Lazarus back. The sister could only say, Lord, it's going to stink. Like, 
bodies decompose. And like if you read what they did in these things, they would literally, they would prepare the body for burial. They would put these spices. They would wrap the body. And for a year, they would let the body decompose. At the end of the year, they would go back in and they would take the bones and they put it in a little box and they'd put it in a, a, a little carved out section of the tomb. And then it'd be ready for someone else. This is the process. They were thinking the next time that they would see Lazarus, they would see his bones when they process it into the box to put it on the shelf. And in case we miss this, I want to, I want to talk about the power of his resurrection. Did Lazarus have any possibility or any chance of bringing himself out of that tomb? No. Dead, man can, dead men cannot raise themselves. He was done. And, and what, what did Jesus ask him? He only asked him one thing. To come out. Which I'm sure was awkward. And I, I said this you know, two weeks ago when we talked about the, the widow's son where he set up in his casket and started talking. I mean, I can only imagine dying probably knowing that you're dying because he was really sick for a while and he, he dies and who, who knows what's going on. And another cool thing, little side tidbit, which I didn't know until I researched this, um, there was a belief um, in the Jews that the, the soul would linger for three days. And, and a lot of commentaries would say that he intentionally waited to four days to get out of that, like, well, his soul, his soul was still there. It's not that big a deal. He wanted to go past the point of even their thought that, like, okay, his soul's still around. He brought him back. He's past that four-day mark. That This is the power of his resurrection. He wanted people to see who he was. See, the chapter before, the people didn't like because he's saying, I and the Father are one. And Jesus did these things so that people would see who he was. The reason why he prayed out loud that they would see and hear him is because he wanted them to know his capacity. They wanted to, they wanted, he wanted people to know that he had the power to do all the things that he had promised. So here's a, here's some thoughts, questions for you. How do we stay in a place of living with the hope that God gives us? And I, I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know what's going on. Um, I know that there's the greater reality is, is inside this room there are people that are struggling with things that no one else knows about. Um, I work out with a, a group called F3. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, we had a guy that was a part of our group in Southport for years, working out uh, with them, connected to people that took his life uh, two weeks ago. Like We have no idea of what's going on inside of people. You have no idea. He, he, husbands and wives, sometimes we, we can keep some of these things from each other and, and have no idea how much we're actually struggling with what's going on inside of us. And and I just want to tell you, I want you to hear this, that there is no too far gone. 
See, some of you are you're, 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 you're running this scenario. Well, you don't know. You don't know these things that I've gone through. And, and what, what, there's, no way, there's no hope of this being fixed, of this being restored, of this being rebuilt, of this. You know, you fill in the blank. And I just want to say there was no chance of Lazarus coming out of that tomb either. But only one piece, which we have access to, Jesus got involved. When love shows up, hope is never lost. And I just want you to hear those words this morning. That regardless of what's going on with you, regardless of what overwhelming thing that you're up against right now, there is always the possibility of hope when Jesus is involved. So whatever that is, maybe it's personal, maybe it's relational with other people, and you just think, man, the way to fix these things isn't trying harder. The way to fix whatever that thing is, emotionally or relationally, isn't like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and, and I, this goes against one of my cores, like I like checking a box. Boxes being checked aren't, aren't going to save anyone. Like the things that I do to like be disciplined, they are great, but I need to be connected to the Father. Like I can read all I want, but if I'm, if I'm leaving out this piece of being connected relationally to a living God, these aren't impersonal. These aren't just things that we get to read. And, and as much as we want you to read the one-year Bible, we want you to be in the Word, we want you to be connected to the person that the story is about. Because the hope isn't found in the truths written, the hope is found in the person that the truths are written about. And I want for us to get to a place that we start looking back to the source for hope. And that may mean this morning that you tell them where you left. Jesus interacted with Martha and Mary, and Jesus finally asked, Mary, where did you lay him? So where, where did you lose whatever hope that you had? And maybe right now, this isn't, this isn't a now thing. You're like, man, I'm, I, Jesus is good, and I have hope in him, and praise the Lord. But if that is not so, the best way to get back to that place is begin to believe that he has the capacity to fix what's going on. And hear this. Usually the way Jesus fixes things is a little bit more messier than you like. Think about Lazarus. Lazarus would have preferred that he showed up a little bit earlier. And I'm sure people in this room be like, man, if God was good, he would have shown up already. If God was good, he would have already fixed this. And I just want to tell you that there is... There is no, the hope is never lost when Jesus is involved and you have no idea how this story ends. And what matters isn't the middle. What matters is how this story ends. And let's have hope for an ending that God has for us. So tell them where you left it. And tell him or ask him or plead with him that you would like to have that hope back. It's just like me in the morning with this, this trust thing. Saying the words is one thing. 
but living out that thing. So that, that hope that you're going to say, Lord, I want to have hope that you can fill in the blank. I want to have hope that you can do this thing. But then you have to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place my hope in you, and I'm going to walk this in a faithful way to see you restore and redeem. And the beautiful thing is that when God does it, it is never just for you. If God, and we talked about this, I mentioned this, um, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, uh, were so intimidated by this miracle that they wanted to destroy Lazarus. They wanted to destroy the, the mouthpiece. I mean, because let me just tell you, if, if you have hope in God and God does something miraculous for you, probably maybe not raising the dead, but like maybe there's lots of other dead things that he can raise for us. But when he does that, you become a mouthpiece for his goodness. And our world needs mouthpieces to how good God is because he says that he restores us and redeems us so that he can give us the ministry of reconciliation. So he, does, he reconciles us to himself. He does these things in us, never just for us. If you're hoping that God's just going to do something for you so that you can enjoy the freedom from or the enjoyment of, is never, never meant. Everything he does for one is always meant for others also. In the testimony, you get to be a mouthpiece. If God delivers you through something, if God brings something to a conclusion that you see his powerful hand how much more power and authority do you have when you sit across the table from someone struggling with the exact same thing and say, this is what God did for me? Hope is born when it's placed on the right person and seeds of hope get placed in other people when they look into your life, in your real life, and they see that you've trusted God and they see what God has done. But they cannot see what God has done if we won't trust him to do the stuff. Which means we have to put ourselves in positions that God gets to restore and redeem us. And some of these things that are going on in our life, we have to lay at his feet and say, God, I, I trust you with this. I'm going to have hope that you can. And some of you probably need that right now as you go towards Christmas gatherings and interact with people. Um, begin to pray now like there's a restorative power that God has in us. Like when, when people, his children, decide to be the bearers of peace, when we bring that hope with us into every room, not allowing other people to change us. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. So the, the question I want to go back to that I want to have us land on is where, where do you need hope? Like, what is this situation in your life that you're just like, I'm struggling with, that I, like, I don't even know what to do. I don't, know, I don't even know what to hope for. I don't even know what I want him to do. What is that situation and as we close, as we go into our last song, my encouragement is 
<laughs> Jesus didn't give Mary nor Martha the game plan. They sent a message. He started, well, he didn't immediately head that way, but two days later he starts heading that way. He arrives four days. He didn't tell them what's going on. And he still lovingly interacted with them through the whole process. Tell God where you lack hope and say, God, just invite him to that place. Invite him back into that place. Because when love shows up, Hope is never lost. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be your willing vessels. Lord, you want to change our city. But before you change our cities, you have to change our hearts and then our homes. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that those in this room that are struggling having hope in you, you would begin to restore them. Lord, I pray that you would bring people to them that would encourage and testify to your goodness and stand with them and walk through these things. But Lord, I pray that we would be instruments of your grace as we go out, as we celebrate your coming to this world, your interacting with us and breathing our same air as we celebrate your entrance into being our king again, inviting people into relationship with you. And so, Lord, I just ask for your grace as we learn to trust again, as we learn to hope again. And, Lord, I pray for all the dead things uh, or things that we think are dead. Lord, I pray that you would bring resurrection life. Lord, for those people in this room that need you, that are struggling, that are hurting, that maybe they don't trust you at all, I pray that today would just be a day where they take a step into that trust and into the hope of what you have for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.